pleasure to be able to honor those. Um, those of you who have been through high school and college know uh, the amount of time and effort that's put into that. And um, I pray and hope that you know the, the grace that's found in God leading us through those big steps in our lives. And so for many of these people, they're about to make some of the biggest steps of their life. And so we want to honor them, but we also want to support them as a church. We want to pray for them um, as a church and as a church family. So this morning, I'd really quickly like to read um, a, a passage of Scripture that I feel like speaks well of things that are going to be coming up and honors, honors Christ in this way. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also made with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off, and you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so this morning, as we honor our graduates, I want to honor them, um, and we want to honor them, but we also want to implore them to hold fast to Christ. Um, if there was a message that I could give to myself as I graduated, or a message that I think you would give to yourself, it'd be like, no matter where you're going, no matter what the next step is for you, my heart for you would be to hold fast to Christ and know that what he's done on the cross, it, it, it sustains and it provides no matter what the next step is for you. So with that said, we're going to honor our graduates this morning. And so the graduates, when I call your name, if you'll come forward, um, we have a gift for you. And then you're, you can go back to your seat. Um, we don't want to embarrass anybody too long up here, but we do want to honor you. So um, after we've read out each graduate, feel free to clap and to cheer. Um, and so, and I'll, I'll wait on you to calm down before I move on to the next one, okay? Um, first off, we have John Bledsoe. John is, uh, John is graduating from Konos Academy. He's the son of Joseph and Gina Bledsoe, and he plans to go to the University of West Georgia and then transfer to complete an engineering degree. John Bledsoe. Next, we have Emily Grissett. Emily is graduating from Central High School. She's the daughter of Bill and Tracy Grissett, and she plans to attend the University of West Georgia. Next, we have uh, Clay Barker. Clay is graduating from Central High School. He's the son of Chad Barker and Monica Mitchell. 
and the grandson of Judy and Milton Leopard, and he is planning to go to technical college for mechanics before entering the military. Congratulations. Next up, we have Grayson Harper. Grayson is the son of Chuck and Ginger Harper. He's graduating from Carrollton High School, and he plans to attend the University of Georgia. <laughs> Next up, we have Greer Harper. Greer is the daughter of Chuck and Ginger Harper. Uh, she's also graduating from Carrollton, and she plans to attend Georgia College and State University. Next up, we have Bo Langley. Bo is the son of Randy and Nicole Langley, and Bo has so many options, he's undecided on his future at this point, so. Next up, we have Aiden Boyd. Aiden is graduating from Heard High School. He is the son of Stephen and Addie Boyd, and he plans to attend the University of West Georgia to major in education. Next, we have Matthew Raines. Matthew is also graduating from Heard County High School. He's the son of Wayne and Nicole Raines, and he plans to enlist in the U.S. Navy. Now we have uh, Joe Whitehead. Joe is graduating from Heard County High School. He's the son of Melody Whitehead Morris and Jeffrey Whitehead, and he plans to attend Kennesaw State University to, to pursue a degree in electrical engineering. We have one unlisted up here, which is uh, Miss Laney Carroll. She's graduating from Central High School, and she's the granddaughter of Chuck and Colleen Stevens. And now we have a couple of other college graduates. So uh, one being Chip Stevens, he's the son of Chuck and Colleen Stevens, and he's graduating with his specialist degree in technology from Kennesaw State. Also not with us this morning, but um, we wanna honor him as Mr. Jordan Busby. He's graduating from Georgia Southwestern University. He's the son of Brent and Lee Busby, the grandson of Elaine Marshall, and he's graduating with highest honors, majoring in business administration, and will begin law school in the fall. And lastly, we have uh, Anna Hanley. Anna is graduating from Georgia Tech. She's the daughter of Todd and Olivia Hanley and she is graduating with highest honors, majoring in business administration, concentrating on finance with a minor in Spanish.
So if our graduates would stand one more time, we want to honor them one, one final time together this morning. Thank you. All right, let's pray together as we continue with worship. Lord, we thank you for our graduates. We thank you for their families. Lord, I just, um, as we end this time together, Lord, this is really probably for them the beginning of many of these events and many of these uh, celebrations, Lord. And uh, Lord, we want to continue our prayer from your scripture, Lord, that they would hold fast to you, Lord, that they would remember um, the cross, that they would remember what you've done for them, Lord, that they would know um, the continued presence that you have with them if they are believers in you. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that for each of them as they move on from here, Lord, that they would continue to walk um, in the way that you've called them to, Lord, that they would find places and people to be around that would lift them up towards you. And, Lord, that we would continue to be a church that is always here for them no matter where they're at or what they need, Lord, that we would be a supporting church and a loving church out of the, the love that you've shown us. Lord, we thank you so much for the blessings that you've given us, and Lord, may we honor you and glorify you in all that we do. In your name we pray, amen. You'll see, and we're going to worship together, and we're going to sing something fast, because Graduate Sunday always gets me really emotional. I guess it's the teacher in me. Let's sing at Calvary together. to worship this morning, God, and to praise God and to honor these graduates, God, that you are setting out onto new paths into um, the world, God. 
Lord, may they always remember where home is, and may this church continue to be a church that feeds into our youth and pours into them and raises them up in the paths they should go, God. Lord, um, I just pray Proverbs 4.23 over these graduates that they will hold on to their instruction, God, um, and that that instruction will be that ultimately, Lord, it all goes back to a price that you paid at Calvary for us, Lord. And we all have so much... um, to give toward you for our offerings, God. And, Lord, we have so much to offer up to you in praise and worship, Lord. And may we do that this morning, God, as we um, reflect on graduates, God. May you just remind us all, Lord, um, that we're always to be studying and studious um, seekers of your word, God. Lord, will you just um, give us just reveal uh, revelations, God, this morning as we open your word, clear our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, God. And may your word find a lodging place in our heart. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed at this time for Children's Church in the back. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21, please. As our children leave, we are grateful to be in John's gospel for the second Consecutive week, taking a break from Luke, connecting the resurrection to daily life and the transitions that all of us go through. Life is filled with many, many transitions, some of them um, more crucial or more impacting than others. High school graduation certainly counts on the list of transitions that you go through that lead to a bit of anxiety and uncertainty, but also a lot of hope and a lot of potential and a lot of excitement. So in John chapter 21, last Sunday and now this Sunday, we're going to read about one of the most significant transitions in world history. The transition that the disciples of Christ made from grieving and wondering experiencing the cross of Christ to processing the joy and the victory and the celebration connected to the resurrection of Christ. Our hopes are gone and he's dead and we are scattered and guilty and don't know what to do with ourselves. To The third day he rose from the dead. So now what? How do we process This dramatic and sudden change of events. Well, John chapter 21 is one of the the places that we can go to see how Jesus and the resurrection impacted his first followers, which led to the church and the world being impacted by the most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it has been said that the most important decision you will ever make is this. Did Christ rise from the dead or not? It would be impossible for me to overstate or to overhype the resurrection of Christ. So John chapter 21, let's dive right in as Peter dove right in in this passage and I'm going to read the whole passage, but this is actually part two, so the exposition is going to begin with verse 15. But if you were not here last Sunday, 
You need the first part to understand where we've been so that we can all be on the same page with where we are going. So verse 1 of 21, after these things, what things? The biggest transition in history. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. We made the point last week that in times of transition we often venture into what is familiar and what is known and what is comfortable. Peter says, yeah, Christ is risen from the dead. I'm not sure how to process all this. I'm going fishing. Some of you certainly can relate. So we continue on. Well, his disciples in verse 3 said, we're coming with you. So they went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast therefore, and they were then not able to haul in the fish because of the great number of fish. So that disciple therefore whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. My favorite meal of the day, come and have breakfast. So none of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, this week's message begins, and you say to yourself, Thankful. Here we know where to focus. So when they finished breakfast... When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Then Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turns around, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now we mentioned last week, this is John. So Peter turns around as he's walking with Jesus on the beach, and he sees John. This is the one who also had leaned back on his breast at supper, saying, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? I hear what you're doing with me, but what about him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You, you follow me. This saying, therefore, went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Father, we are grateful today for just the opportunity to come and hear your word and to speak your word and listen to your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would not only open our minds and hearts to understand it, but Lord, that we would understand it in a way that we would appropriate it into our lives and put it into practice, Lord, in daily life, in real life, beyond this sanctuary. Lord, thank you for those who are here who are going through the transition of graduation. But Lord, all of us throughout the course of life go through many changes and many intersections and many transitions. And we pray, Lord, that we would look to you and know as the disciples came to know that you love us, that you are Lord, and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are the risen King who gave his life for the sheep. May that, Lord, Determine and guide everything that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so these are the ways of Jesus. They are the ways of His grace. And so last week I made three crucial points about the grace of Jesus, which is revealed to us in this passage. And first, God's grace to us is supernatural. It is His love which raised Jesus up from the dead, and his love, which supernaturally still lives in us and works through us. His grace is also very surprising. There are several surprises in this passage. Look, it's Jesus. Look at the great catch of fish that we have. His grace is not only supernatural, but it's surprising. And then the, the, the third thing that we saw is that his grace to us is sustaining. It su sustains us from the beginning until the very end. So this was a new beginning which God graciously bestowed on his disciples and on the church, which you and I still partake of as believers and disciples of Christ. But did you notice that these disciples needed repetitive confirmation in order to process the impact of the resurrection. 
What does John tell us in John 21? This was the third time that Jesus manifested himself to Peter and John and the disciples. And we might ask, well, why didn't they get it the first time? Well, don't you know yourself? When dramatic changes take place, even though you may see them and know them and feel them, if you're like me, you need constant reminder. Now, last Sunday morning, I noticed our children as they presented their Easter musical. There was one portion during their presentation where the kids all, they all raised their hands. Hallelujah. And I noticed one of these children, after the hands were raised, looked to the left and looked to the right to make sure the hands were in the proper place. And I thought to myself, Joe, I can relate. If, if you've ever traveled and if you've ever needed your passport, and you know how crucial that passport is for every entry, I know my passport's in my pocket. I know I held it and I saw it. But if you looked at me, I'm constantly checking. <laughs> is that passport still in there, right? Because we're all filled with self-doubt. We are all filled with this wondering. Yes, there's a reality out there. But we are humans. We are limited. And these very first disciples, the Bible tells us, they were slow to believe. They were slow to grasp. So God in His grace and in His mercy continues to come to us and to graciously remind us of who He is, how much He's loved us, and what He's done. That's one reason why he gave to the church communion, which is to do this in remembrance of him until he comes again. All the senses are involved. We hold it, we taste it, we smell it, we touch it, we take it in, we eat it to remind us that he is feeding us his grace. So this is the third time, and in John's gospel, the third time's the charm. He manifests himself to his disciples so that they can be certain. Now this morning my message is going to guide us through three terms. okay? And they're connected again to the grace of God. And we're going to discover this morning that his grace is sanctifying, that his grace is sending, and that his grace is special. All right? And I'm going to back up and explain what I mean. Let's look at the first one. His grace is sanctifying. God's grace not only saves us, but His grace and His love changes us. If you know a lot about Peter, Peter needed a lot of work. Peter needed a lot of sanctifying. Peter needed a lot of changing. And you'll notice in John 21 that the force and the power which transforms Peter from a doubting, denying three times, Grieving, heartbroken, guilty, shamed disciple. God in His grace transforms Peter through this scene and restores him to lead and guide the church in a humble way, a gracious way, a courageous way. God's grace sanctifies Peter in our story here this morning. Let me explain. Do any of you know the connection between the charcoal fire on the beach and the three questions which grieved Peter the third time 
Peter, do you love me? Do you know why Jesus asked that question in that scene on that particular morning? To know the backstory, Peter was kind of the guy who, man, he opened his mouth and he thought he was elite and special and a cut above all the other disciples. Saying things like this. All these other bozos may deny you and they may fail you, but I never will. I know me. I'm Peter. I'm special. I'm a cut above. Jesus even told Peter on one occasion that, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, and when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, that'll never happen to me. I'll never be the guy to fail you. I will go to you. Lord, I will die for you. So he was bold. He was brash. He was self-confident. He wasn't afraid to pop off and tell people who he was and what he was going to do. But then he was humbled. Then he was broken. Then he was humiliated. He was introduced to himself and his own fallenness and his own limitations because around a charcoal fire, a little servant girl says about Peter, Hey, he's one of them, but Jesus is under trial. He's going to be crucified, and Peter caved. He failed miserably, and he denied that he even knew Jesus. He said three things. I don't know him, I'm not one of them, and I don't know what you're talking about. Completely lying and denying and betraying who Jesus was, and all that Peter claimed to be. So let's go back to the beach in John 21. What in the world is happening here? Well, for one thing, we get a sense that Peter, for some reason, wants to meet with Jesus really bad, because unlike the other disciples, Peter dove into the water and began to swim to shore. There's probably no one on the planet who was happier than Peter that Jesus was alive. Because the story for Peter, if it ended badly, if it ended with the cross, if it ended with death, would end with Peter remembering the look that Jesus gave him when the rooster crowed three times, reminding Peter that Jesus had said, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will fail me. You will deny me. And I believe in my heart of hearts, and Jeff Rude will confirm this because Jeff has pointed it out to me too, that he thinks that that glance that Jesus gave to Peter as Jesus is going to the cross and looking at Peter, that that glance crushed Peter. That glance broke Peter. And Jesus dies and Peter still has in his heart and in his mind the look that Jesus gave him. Have you ever done something or said something to somebody or about someone And then hours passed and days passed and all your mind and heart could think about is I've got to make it up to them. I've got to reconcile. I've got to get this back right. Those were three long days for Peter. Because he didn't know how long those three days were going to be. But when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter was confronted with resurrection grace and the opportunity 
for reconciliation and forgiveness and renewal. And that's why he dives into the water and swims toward Jesus. And they take a walk after breakfast on the beach. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter knows exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is loving Peter first and initiating restoring grace that will change Peter's life immensely from being a brash, bold bully to being a humble shepherd who loves and cares for sheep. Here's my point. Jesus sanctifies Peter by grace. Who can be made good if not done so by loving? And Jesus loves Peter immensely in this particular moment. Peter was singled out. Peter was loved. Peter was chosen. Peter was searched for so that the old Peter could die and a new Peter, the rock, could come to life. Now, how are you and I going to appropriate this grace into our own lives? I'll say some things here, and then I'm going to give a practical uh, application in just a moment. But, but Chuck Swindoll said something years ago to me that stood out. I, I thought I understood it, and now I, I probably think I understand it a little bit, but I still don't understand it fully. When God wants to do an impossible task, He takes an impossible person and He crushes him. Would God do that? Would God crush us and hurt us in order to change us and grow us? Absolutely. Look at the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. It's applying what happened at the cross to the sanctifying work of grace that's going on in our lives. I'll give you another quote. A.W. Tozer said, It's doubtful whether God will use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's doubtful whether or not a, a man or a woman can be used greatly by God until we are hurt deeply. Why is that? Because by pride all of us have these satanic thoughts that we're a cut above. I'm not like everybody else. I'm special. These other people may fail and you may see their limitations and their flaws and their sins but not me. But then life happens. And you blow it. You disappoint the people you love. You disappoint the people who are over you. You know the story. I don't need to go into that. Life, life affects us and life hurts. But God is here to graciously restore and renew us. And Peter is the case study so that we will know how Jesus operates. If you'd known Peter before the cross and the resurrection... You would have thought, who does that guy think he is? <laughs> the audacity. But to know Peter after the cross and the resurrection? <laughs> hey, Peter, I got some problems. Can you help me? <laughs> and Peter say, yeah, I can help you. You know how I can help you? I've been there. I've been there. How many of you are familiar with the name Morgan Wallen? Anybody in here know Morgan Wallen? Come on, don't be bashful. I didn't have a clue who Morgan Wallen was. Tells you a little bit about what music I listened to. 
Apparently, he's a very popular country music artist. So on Good Friday, I get a call from my son Asa, and Asa says, Dad, you got to check out this new song that Morgan Wallen has released on Good Friday. I said, who is Morgan Wallen? <laughs> he says, Dad, you're so uncool. I'm like, I already knew that, right? But I've got the lyrics to the song he released on Good Friday, and some of you have heard this song. And the gist of the song is that I don't think Jesus would have done it this way, okay? Someone else wrote this song for Morgan Wallen, gave it to him. He composed it and released it on Good Friday to time with Resurrection Sunday. And in this song, it's about his failures, his life, his rocky road, and how people would say to him, hold on, (laughs) this is real life, these things happen. Go back to Morgan Wallen. His failures, his weaknesses, his sin, and the community says, I don't think Jesus would do it that way, right? Well, then I want to read to you what he says he feels he would do if he were Jesus dealing with him. Now, I've got a point I'll make in just a moment, if you bear with me. Morgan Wallen says in these lyrics, Man, if, if somebody failed me like this, I'd shame him, I'd blame him, I'd make him pay for my mistakes. Then he says, but I don't think Jesus does it that way. The world likes to rear back and throw a few stones, so boy wants to throw a few stones of his own. But Lord knows I ain't perfect and it ain't my place. I don't think Jesus done it that way. Are y'all sure that Jesus done it that way? Anybody familiar with those lyrics? Or is this a total wash? Look, we know for sure how Jesus deals with sinners. Peter is case study. So, Jesus is utterly different. He's holy, and he didn't do Peter this way, right? And this is the grace that humbles us and transforms the heart so that we will love and serve and give. Here's my point. The grace that saves us changes us. The one who is forgiven much will love much. A forgiven person will be a forgiving person. Look at Peter before the cross and the resurrection. Look at Peter after the cross and the resurrection. You see a completely new person who becomes the rock of the church, who is a humble, gentle, faithful, courageous shepherd. He couldn't even claim Jesus to a servant girl, but on the day of Pentecost, he's preaching the risen Christ to 2,000, and 2,000 souls are being saved. How do you account for the change? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's test our own faith for just a second. How do you respond when you sin and fall and blow it? I think Peter gives us how we need to respond. We need to go immediately to Christ. He's like training for a triathlon here. He's swimming, he's running, he's biking, whatever he has to do. He's got to get to Jesus because there is forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. Look at how he dealt with Peter. 
So when I sin and fail, and I'm going to sin and fail, I am a human being. I am nothing on my own. I am not autonomous. I'm not self-dependent. And my sin introduces me to myself. Dive in and go to Jesus, and then he will send you appropriately to other people in honest confession. But maybe a better test is when people fail and disappoint you, how do you respond? That's what Morgan Wallen is working through. I don't think Jesus would do it that way. How would he do it? We see in Peter grace and forgiveness. There's truth, but there was grace and forgiveness. So when people fail and disappoint, I'm going to decide in advance, before that ball is ever hit to me, I'm going to know where I'm going with it. Because people are going to fail. People are going to disappoint you. And I'm going to treat them how he has treated me. He has manifested himself to us in this way, and now we must manifest him to others in this way. Like the father to the prodigal son, we must welcome others with open arms. All of us crave reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others. You've heard me tell this before, but a newspaper in Madrid, Spain, put out an ad in a newspaper. A dad did. Paco, son. All is forgiven. Meet me at 3 o'clock p.m. on Thursday afternoon in the Grand Hotel. The father goes to Madrid to the Grand Hotel, and there waiting for him in the lobby are eight guys named Paco. <laughs> Paco's a very familiar name, a very common name in Madrid, Spain. There was mercy great. And grace was free. There was pardon multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. Peter ends his letters to the church saying, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has made reconciliation possible through Christ. And we see it in Peter. Hey, that was a lot under number one. The last two are not going to have that much. So God's grace to us, how Jesus operates, his grace is sanctifying, and you and I need this desperately. But the second part of this, his grace is not only to sanctify us, there's not only, there's not only grace coming into my life, which is receiving grace, but there should be grace going out of my life, which is giving grace. So I'm going to call this sending grace. So as disciples of Christ, you've got to be really good at two things. Number one, receiving grace and giving grace. Any healthy body of water, any healthy life and soul will be constantly receiving love and giving love. Love flowing in and love flowing out. If you've got it all flowing in and it doesn't flow out, it becomes stagnant. If you've got all flowing out and none flowing in, it becomes empty. So his grace is not only for us, it's also for others, which leads him to say, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, there's something for you to do. There's a mission. There's a task. There's a purpose. I'm not just forgiving you. I am sending you to a world desperately in need of God's love and God's mercy and grace. So look at the wonderful opportunity I have, not just to be forgiven, but to give, not just to be forgiven, but to forgive. So here's the question, well, what do we feed people? <laughs> what has God fed you? 
Through the Word, He feeds us the gospel. He feeds us Christ. He feeds me joy and love and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. There's a lot that God is feeding us believers. And whatever He feeds to you, you pass that on to other people. As a pastor, preacher, teacher, I know my main task is to feed and then to feed you. To feed on the Word and then to feed you the words of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the person of Christ, all that. His grace not only sanctifies, but it sends us to be salt and light. Ambassadors, witnesses. To turn us inside out and to see the world very differently, to see people very differently. Now that I know about His grace to me, I can share that grace to others. When I graduated high school and went to college at the University of Georgia... That was an eye-opening experience for me. I'd never been in classes with so many people. I'd never been to a school with so many people. It was quite a transition. Man, I learned a lot. Near my senior year of school, knowing that I was going to be in ministry, I started taking some religion classes just to see what does a big secular university say about God and the Bible. What are they saying? I knew I was going to seminary and I wanted to know as much as I could know. In one particular class, a philosophy of religion class, it was a small class. So there was a lot of discussion, a lot of interaction. I cannot remember what the debate was, but an argument, a debate arose in class. And there were two people who were kind of going at it. I thought, man. And one of the guys who was going at it with one of the girls appeared to be from another country. I was like, wow, I don't know where this is going to go. So at the University of Georgia, the bus system's crowded, it's complicated. I got on the wrong bus a dozen times my freshman year and and still don't know how I made it back to Glenlock. But here I am. You want to know why I yelled when, when Harper back there, go dogs. You know, I'm all about, all about my loyalty and my allegiance to Georgia. But anyway, so following that class, the group of us go down to the bus stop and the majority of the class gets on the bus. And the two people in the argument are on the bus and she's standing up and he's sitting down. And right there in front of everybody... She stands over this guy who appears to be from another country and she looks down at him and she says to him, I want you to know that Jesus loves you very, very much. And with all the confidence and all the assurance in the world, he looks back up at her and with nothing but grace and understanding in his eyes, he looks back up at her and he says, I have known that Jesus loves me for a very long time. And I think back to that moment, and I say to myself, when you read John 21, the big takeaway is the assurance and the knowledge that these disciples, Peter and John, who at times had issues, and my last point is going to show that they still had some issues, They hung their future and were willing to be martyred over three truths that you and I carry throughout life. And here they are. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but but three things I know. 
number one, he loves me. Number two, he is Lord. And number three, he is with me. And he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. If we take anything away from the cross and the resurrection, it's those three things. But now that you know those three things, those three things are not for your ego. Those, those three things are not to puff you up. And if you've been crushed and you've been hurt and then you've been forgiven, then you know that. And it's operational in your life. And you're going to try your very best to communicate in word and deed the good news of the gospel. The grace that saves us and sanctifies us sends us to reflect God to the world. So when Jesus manifested himself the third time, what did he show them? What did he feed them? That's what we are to reflect to a lost world, which is desperately in need of reconciliation to God. So you've got sending grace, you've got sanctifying grace. I'll close with this. You've got specific grace. And I'm going to say this because it's crucial to my growth and your growth. You cannot get along well in discipleship if you're constantly comparing yourself to where other people are. Peter struggled with this. He continued to struggle with it even after the resurrection. How do we know? Because as he's walking with Jesus, he's got John on his mind. And he turns from Jesus. No, Peter, Peter had trouble keeping his eyes on Jesus. He turns and he asks Jesus, Okay, I see that you've got a plan for me. That earlier in life, man, I was bold and brash and young and I knew it all and I went wherever I wanted to go. But when I die, somebody else is going to gird me up and take me where I don't want to go. We know that Peter was crucified upside down. And that's what John 21 alludes to is his future martyrdom and, martyrdom and death on behalf of of the church and the gospel. But here he is trying to find false assurance and false hope and false identity, false security. Not on God's plan for him, but on what God's doing in somebody else's life. Now, I know that I do this. Let's go back to my college days. I would base my assurance and confidence on how well I might do on a test by asking a question like this. I'd go into class and before the professor came in to give the exam, I would turn to my neighbor and I would say, how long did you study? Because <laughs> I knew how long I studied, all right? And so I'm trying to find false assurance and false comfort. And if they said, man, I studied all week long, I'd say to myself, I'm doomed. <laughs> Or if they said, well, I didn't study it at all. I'm, you know, I feel pretty good about how I'm going to do on this. Idiotic. <laughs> how in the world is how long that person studied, how does that have anything to do with my ability to study and retain the knowledge? They may be an absolute genius. <laughs> they studied 30 minutes, they got an A+. So then after the class, after the exam... Later on, the scores come in. I would look for how I did relative to other people. What did you get? Oh, I got an A+. Plus. I think, man, <laughs> I'm a failure. <laughs> if I turn to this person, what did you get? Oh, I failed. <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing great. <laughs> 
But in the end, when I called home to give my parents my score, they don't care what other people did. Why? They're paying my bill to college, right? Man, we do this all the time. I had a guy tell me at Aces baseball game yesterday, he's called back into ministry, he's pastoring churches. He says, he says, I've this was Friday actually, he says, I've never pastored a church as big as your church. He's in his sixties. And the way we pastors sometimes think about ourselves is we say to ourselves, how many do they have? I guess so that we'll know relatively how we're doing. Boy, we are asking the wrong questions, aren't we? And that's why Jesus never says to Peter what he's going to do with John Jesus basically says, what I do with John is none of your business. You follow me. You let me run the universe. C.S. Lewis has a tremendous quote on this. What can you ever really know of other people's souls? Of their temptations, their opportunities, their struggles. One soul in the whole of creation you do know, and it's the only one whose fate is placed in your hands. If there is a God, then you are in a sense alone with him. You cannot put him off with speculations about your next door neighbors. Or memories of what you've read in books. What will all the chatter and hearsay count when the anesthetic fog, which we call nature or the real world, fades away and the presence in which you have always stood becomes palpable immediately and unavoidable? Here's my point. Quit judging your life and other people to gauge where you are with God and you, you follow Him. That's what he says to Peter. That's what he says to John. That's what he says to you and me. You have no idea what other people have gone through in their relationship with God and in their transitions of life. You and I need not compare ourselves. Comparison is a trap and it is the enemy of contentment. And It is something that Peter struggled with from the very beginning, but it was satanic. It was hellish. And Jesus told him that it was. So let me close with this. Because Peter accepted his role, it led him to embrace suffering. It led him to embrace his personal suffering because he knew that on the other side was the chief shepherd who would crown him for his life and his ministry. So he was willing to do all that because he knew tethered to Christ, united to Christ in his death, you would also be united to Christ in his resurrection. And if you read First and Second Peter, Peter is willing to embrace suffering and difficulty and willing for the church to embrace suffering and difficulty because he knew United to Christ, to die with Him was also to live with Him. So the takeaway today, church, is that through all the transitions of life, you be by faith united to Jesus. And you know that no matter what comes tomorrow, 
Suffering and death will in Christ lead to glory and resurrection. Because he lives, we too shall live. John 21 was just the beginning. And today, for you and me, is just the beginning of all that is before us. You, you, you follow Christ. That's what Jesus says. Father, thank you for your grace. Oh, your grace does sanctify us. And Lord, I know that I need changing. We all need changing. For you tell us in your word who we really are. We are rebels. And we are proud and selfish. And we need breaking. But your grace will do that in an appropriate way, in a gentle yet strong way. Perfectly appropriate for each of us. Oh, it's special, this grace. It's special that you personally relate to each one of us knowing exactly what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. And just as you dealt with Peter and John, you will deal with us. May all of us come to know you in an intimate, personal way. If we've never surrendered our life to Christ for salvation, for future glory, may we be willing to die to self and surrender to the gospel so that we truly may live life here abundantly and have the promise and hope of heaven and the glory that is to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, that's enough. Let's stand and sing. I am thine, O Lord. You come as we sing.
thank you so much, church, for your love and your worship and your attentiveness today. It's been a great day, and it just got better because I've got some good news to announce from Missy Rakestraw. So last Sunday afternoon, we had a wedding here, and Missy and Ray were wed, and they were both so emotional and heartfelt in their vows, and uh, it just, I don't know, it really spoke to me how sincere and, and deep was their love for one another. Um, Missy also shares with me today, not only is she uh, newlywed, but she surrendered her life to Christ during our service this morning. And so that is the ultimate surrender and the ultimate covenant and the ultimate marriage relationship. And so she and I are going to talk about the steps to follow up as far as baptism and church membership and what comes with that. But I did ask her if I could share that with all of you, and, uh, and she said, certainly share that. So God is at work and moving. The key word here for all of us is surrender. Surrender, to quit fighting. Uh, God said to Saul, you can't kick against the goads. You can't kick against the goads. You, you, must, you must surrender. And then we continue to learn that throughout the course of our lives. So, Missy, I love you, and I'm grateful that last Sunday we had a wedding, and today we celebrate your salvation. Amen. Thanks be to God, church. So, um, anyway, y'all have a great rest of the day with your family. Uh, don't forget, next Sunday morning, Mother's Day, breakfast is for everyone. Show up and eat at 930 and then service at 1030. Um, tonight, we will have our marriage course. It's, in, it's open to all. It's week two, but there's always something to learn. It is an open study. You can come and go anytime. But you can also follow along with the 10 weeks, which I think is most beneficial and helpful. And the choir and the youth will meet tonight. But there will be no children's meeting tonight uh, because their children's choir is, is done for, for the time being since they did Easter. Was there anything that I forgot or that we need to emphasize? Choir at five, choir at five. Let's sing the doxology this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Have a great week.